0: As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes. What follows is one of
1: those interviews. First of all, I hate the term identity politics. I think the only people playing identity politics in the way that it's described are Republicans. Democrats did not choose to change the seating in the United States Senate so that two women would coincidentally be sitting behind Susan Collins so that the TVs would show three women while she gave her speech supporting a sexual assaulter.
0: (laughs) Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Guy Cecil is chairman of Priorities USA. That's a very large progressive super PAC Dedicated to mobilizing voters for races up and down the ballot in 2018, and a key player on the battlefield of our politics. Priorities is also laying the groundwork for the fight ahead to take back the White House from Trump in 2020. Guy is a former teacher, minister, campaign manager, executive director of the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, and was field director for Hillary's presidential campaign in 2008. He's seen our politics from a lot of angles and knows a great deal about how our side is organized and fighting. I thought Guy and I had a good conversation. Have a listen. So, first our sponsor, and then my interview with Guy Cecil with Priorities USA.
1: This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G R A P H I C A C Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world.
0: So, Guy, can I get you to introduce yourself and give me a quick biography?
1: Sure. My name is Guy Cecil. I'm the chairman of Priorities USA, which is a progressive super PAC that supports progressive and Democratic candidates and also is focused on building progressive infrastructure around the country. Prior to that, I've been involved in Senate races. I was the former executive director of the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee, Uh, served as Hillary Clinton's political director in 2008. And have worked on Senate races, uh, including Michael Bennett in Colorado. Uh, but I actually started out after graduating college as a minister and high school teacher, um, which is Pretty not much that the much same thing, not that much different. <laughs> there's a remarkable amount of similarity between teaching fifteen-year-olds and being in politics. And um, it seems these days there's as much religion in politics as there is politics in religion. So they were they were good skills to. Uh, to learn early on,
0: actually, let's talk about that for a second. Sure. What, what do you what do you see as similarities between <laughs> teaching and ministering and running a yeah. super PAC?
1: Well, I think you know a lot of a lot of management uh, managing campaigns in particular is about building relationships, especially internally. It's about building relationships with your candidates, uh, building relationships with your your staff and supporters. And I think a lot of times we, especially these days, where there is so much focus on data, of which I'm a big fan of and use on a regular basis, but I think one of the inclinations is to sort of take the humanity out of politics. Not just humanity in terms of um, how we think about our opponents, but humanity and how we even think about how we deal with staff and how we deal with candidates and and judgment
0: also just like human judgment yes yeah and
1: that we're all living lives right I mean you 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 know we have campaign staff that in the span of a year and a half year have gone through marriages and new babies and deaths in the family and so I think it just not that I'm always perfect at it but it keeps in the back of your mind the importance of sort of keeping the humanity in the work which uh, I find increasingly difficult to do in uh, the context of Donald Trump. You know, in fact, I, you know, I've talked about this before when we were running uh, the 2016 race and we were the super PAC for Hillary Clinton. I would regularly meet with my minister now, uh, who is a senior minister of a progressive church uh, here in D.C., and we would talk a lot about how you run a super PAC, which is predominantly focused on, you know, negative ads, talking about. Trump's behavior, the way he treats people, how do you do those things and speak truth to power without becoming him? And I think that's gonna be a big challenge for the Democratic Party. I am not a believer that the way we beat Trump is we just become him, um, which seems to be a controversial opinion amongst a lot of folks. So I think all of that, that's a very long-winded answer to your question, but um, I think it just helps keeping a sane head and trying to do your best to treat people well
0: well we'll say a little bit more about leadership because you have run campaigns you've run a senate campaign committee as you mentioned you're running a super PAC, which has a bunch of employees now yep what what's your theory about how you pull an enterprise together and take it in the right direction
1: (laughs) hire people that are better at their job than you would be i really do think that is number one on the list i've been fortunate especially in the last 10 years in just making really good hires and letting people do their job i think that is fundamentally the key because if you get those initial hires right if you find the right people to lead departments and to provide direction to staff and who are strategic thinking and who are good managers everything else becomes easier and i think it's you know, I, uh, former staff that have worked for me are managing Sherrod Brown's campaign, John Tester's campaign, J.B. Pritzker's campaign, and are doing remarkable jobs in all of those races. And to me, that is that is the key. The second, which is really hard in politics, is um, working hard is not the same as working smart. And I think that's really tough, because we are conditioned that the person that is in the office first, and out of the office last, and who is the busiest, is the one that's the most committed. And I think trying to find ways to give people a little bit of space to recoup while these races are going on, maybe not in the last three weeks of the election, but certainly over the course of a couple of years, becomes really important. Um, Again, the key is still finding the right people. I really do believe that is a huge component of it.
0: I've done some hiring in my day, and I find it to be not— not always easy. You get it wrong sometimes. Yeah. So when you see, you get it wrong, what do you do?
1: I it's one of the most painful things. Um, because
0: in politics people are not very good at firing. No, for a host of different reasons. One, You build
1: relationships with people. Right. You know, it's a very intense experience. You're in the foxhole with somebody. Um, and you go through all the emotions in the course of a day, a week, a month, a campaign. It's, it's highly intense. I'm not good at it, uh, is my honest answer. Um, I really have to, because I get tied to people as well. And um, But
0: sometimes if you have the wrong person, everybody knows it and
1: you lose credibility. Not- I think the bigger issue is, the bigger issue than firing someone is the steps that you take up to that point. It's It's really hard when you are dealing with an intense campaign to provide guidance and constructive criticism and help people become managers. Yeah. And I think the the most undervalued piece of management or senior positions in the campaign is the management part. We hire strategists. you know, Because you are a good communications director, doesn't necessarily mean you're good at managing a communications staff. Yep. And to me, that's the challenging part. It's how when you see somebody off track or you see somebody maybe not living up to their potential or who's just not the right fit for the job, what are the steps that you take to try to get them there? That is really hard to do when you're dealing with an intense period of of time. The other thing I, I find is we, you end up hiring people that you know, and I think you have to be very conscious about opening up the pool of people that you're talking to, you're interviewing, you're hiring. You're going to get better talent that way. You're going to get more diverse talent that way. So it becomes, I think, a big part of being successful. Can you talk about what priorities is how it sort of fits into <laughs>
0: yep. the, the whole, I don't know, progressive ecosystem and, sure. and what weight it has and how, you know, just how does it fit in?
1: Yeah. So priorities started as President Obama's super PAC uh, in the 2012 election. It's for the most part. Went dormant during the fourteen election, raised a little bit of money, provided some funding to other PACs and committees that were doing work, but for the most part did not have it its its own program. Continued in sixteen as Hillary Super PAC, which is uh, when I joined the organization. I think it was October of twenty fifteen, um, and then after sixteen, we and, decided and raised and spent like. $200 million, a little over $200 million, yeah, which yeah. is a, a substantial a lot amount of money. money.
0: Yes. When we talk now about 2016, it's impossible not to yeah. think about that with the result in mind. Yes. What do you wish you had done yeah. differently? Because obviously you must. Since yeah. It was so damn close.
1: I think that there's, I would say there's two things quickly. One is a structural thing, which is why priorities exist now, which is I wish we had um, a longer runway to get ready. Um, And this is something that the left is just, we haven't been good at. And what I mean by that is building infrastructure that is not just candidate-based or issue-based. And by the way, appropriately so, we tend to wrap ourselves around candidates we love or issues we love. You know, I'm an Obama voter. I'm a Elizabeth Warren, a Cory Booker voter. I'm a climate voter. I'm a criminal justice voter. But what happens in those circumstances is you end up becoming a very cyclically based movement that is not necessarily always electorally focused in the best way, the right, no doubt, they have candidate and issue oriented groups, but they also have organizations like Americans for prosperity, which are funded 365 days a year with clear budgets from the very beginning, a command and control structure that allows them to build infrastructure. So starting in October, or maybe a little bit earlier preparing for a presidential race where you're going to spend money. And by the way, you have no idea how much money you're going to raise at that point. I would have started earlier and I would have joined earlier. And I think we would have been better prepared. I think in terms of sort of the strategic approach, independent groups are in a unique position in one respect. Yes, you're independent. You are raising this money to support a particular candidate. But you're watching what the campaign itself is doing and you're you're essentially letting them take the lead on a number of things. So you watch, for example, what states the campaign plays in, and then you follow, you make decisions based on because they you know, the reality is two hundred and twenty million dollars is a lot of money, but in the span of the entire election, it's a relatively small amount of money. It's less than five, six percent of the total spend on 2016. So you really have to dis- figure out what your role is. You're going to be a value add, following sort of the public strategic direction of the campaign. I would have, in hindsight, of course, yeah. I would have done that a little bit differently. Yeah, I would have made different funding decisions in that regard. Like in terms of uh, oh, what geographically states, what states or you're in.
0: or like message or
1: mostly what states you're in. I mean, he. So, I mean, think about it this way. If you are in Pennsylvania and you have on television between all of the things that are on the you know, the presidential race, house races, you have 10,000 points of television. So for your listeners, 1,000 points of television means that your average viewer sees an ad 10 times. So 100 points equals one view. Okay. So you have 10,000 points of television. That's a lot of television. It's very difficult if you're only a thousand points of that television to open up an entirely new line of attack mm. because it just gets drowned out by everything that's happening. The other piece is while we did spend over $35 million online, clearly, you know, because of the focus of our group now, we're spending 100% of our money online in 2018. I certainly would have thought about spending more online. So that's a that's a huge change. Yes. What drove that yeah so it doesn't mean that we're always going to spend hundred yeah, percent we'll, we'll probably but, do television but there's next been an awful lot
0: of people that have argued we should have done this been, a while ago or yeah or or, yes. or or the incentives in the whole industry should be more in that direction so here you are yes. you're you're throwing your stake
1: all online correct so a couple of reasons one there are other organizations that are focused predominantly although not only on television so just adding more television into the mix does not make sense we start at that basic fundamental premise like we're not in the business of just throwing good money after bad and but but the big issue is going back to the structural piece we just we've been dropping the ball you look at 2016 the top 20 house races republicans spent 28% of every dollar online democrats spent 4% of every dollar online Huge despite difference. the fact that we rely more on young people and people of color who are disproportionately online and mobile first. I could talk about Senate races, governor's races, the presidential race, it would all look the same in terms of our disparity. Number two, we don't invest year round. And you can't just wake up and decide, gosh, we're gonna do some good creative content. You have to have a theory of the case around testing, around creative development, around buying and targeting. You have to have data that is not just built on a voter file that was designed for 1994, which tells you what door to knock on and tells you where to send a piece of mail and provides phone call guidance, but not necessarily focused on digital first. And then lastly, most of the creative has been terrible. It's been taking even good TV ads, recutting them, and putting them online. We decided that we needed a structural change. So we spent a year and a half, not only doing uh, off-year elections and special elections, but doing issue campaigns around healthcare and taxes. And we've been building the data sets, the creative testing, the creative team. Um, In fact, when you you come into our offices here or you go to New York or uh, folks in California, of our seventy staff, forty-one of them are on our creative team. So you're much more likely to run into a videographer, scriptwriter, graphics, motion person at priorities than you are to run into, you know, a political hack like me. That's uh, a huge difference. Yes. That's a huge
0: difference in how politics is being conducted,
1: isn't it? Yes. No. A- absolutely. Yeah. And um, and it, and it's critical for us because we have been falling farther and farther and farther behind. We need to catch up. But that's kind of what the
0: presidential campaigns were changing. Like internally, for the last bunch of cycles, the presidential campaigns on our side at least had their own creative teams. They had their own internet teams. They were building lots of the right. types and of then things that you're doing. And then they end, and we don't have that institution, right? And, and the, we don't, the, and those people separate out, and sometimes form consulting firms, or sometimes leave correct. the game. Or, that's right. Or no, not. that's that's
1: exactly right. right. And Senate races and House races don't have two billion dollars. Don't have a billion dollars. Most of them don't. Don't have capacity to have their own creative teams to have a slew of buyers and targeters. That's just not the way most of politics works. And so, what I worry about is we like a lot of things we've done in the last eight years, we let the presidential campaign blind us to deficiencies on the left. And so our job has been, let's solve them. Let's solve them from a long-term basis, and then let's solve them for 2018. So we're in seven Senate races, 40 House races, and three Governor's races in 2018 with 100% digital buys.
0: So talk about like how this is actually working internally. Yeah. So you've hired up, enough of a team to do this kind of creative work you have money to spend but how are you figuring out what
1: to say how sure. are you like what's the process so one here? we work with great partners so we work with a senate majority pack on senate races we work with house majority pack on house races those are the packs that are responsible primarily for those sets of races we work a lot with local people we were the largest uh, digital player in the Alabama special election. And the first thing that we did in that race is we brought someone from Alabama to DC to meet with our whole team working on Alabama so that they had a flavor for the race. So just to use that as an example, what did you do in that race? Like what was the specifics? Yeah. So the great thing about the way we're set up now is I mentioned that we have a creative team. We also have a team of analysts and buyers and targeters uh, in-house. We have people that have experience in strategic thinking about these things. And we've brought in folks from outside of politics. I mean, that's one of the great things about this flexibility is we've hired people from the Onion and BuzzFeed. We've hired people from ESPN and BET that have bringing experience. So we basically do a set of targeting online the way we might do in other respects. So in the Alabama case we actually decided in that case to really loosen our targeting restrictions. And we targeted basically any African American that was registered to vote in the state. We didn't apply any vote history. We just said, look, we have a moment in time. We have a finite universe. We don't have any money competition. There aren't other races going on. And then we ran programs across, across platform and everything that we do is typically embedded with testing. So we do, web panels we do creative testing we do a b testing all designed to basically give us real time guidance on what to run and if i can mention one test that we've talked about before that i think is really instructive of this and that is what role trump plays and how we run against trump in the midterm elections we tested a lot of creative in alabama now as a reminder we ran against a pedophile. There was a lot of material to work with. He was also a racist, so there was more material to work with there. We were running running ads on behalf of a guy that had had a stellar career and done remarkable things in his own career. And among African Americans, Donald Trump's approval rating was at five. We did a host of creative testing. And the one thing that we found through our creative testing was the more we used Donald Trump, the less likely young African Americans were to turn out. Which I think was a surprise to a lot of people because I think Democrats are somewhat blinded to believe that, you know, you just say some mean things about Trump and that's enough. Well, first of all, that's baked in the cake. You have a 90% unfavorable rating with African Americans. What more are you going to say about Trump? Secondly, Donald Trump to a lot of young voters is the epitome of why voting doesn't matter from their perspective. They either voted for Hillary or their friends voted for Hillary that the country's reaction to the first African-American president was to elect a misogynist, racist, homophobic, jerk. My words, not theirs. Um, and <laughs> Well, so that's some of the for, his better characteristics. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> trying to be, you know, that, to be being, that's me being kind. That's what, but, but so to them, he was an embodiment of voting not mattering. Yeah. And so to continually shove him in their face actually had a backlash. And so then we decided, gosh, we should go test other messaging, Democratic Party messaging. So we tested a slew of messaging from other organizations. We did it anonymously, removed. And guess what? A third of the ads produced backlash. Ads that actually hurt these you. organizations thought would turn out to vote were actually having a depressing effect on turnout. And you were
0: doing your own testing. Do you use any external group to help you test? Or do you we do, we do
1: have external consultants that work with us on some of the testing, and then we do some internally. Yeah. But that would be one example of like not just thinking you you know an audience and actually letting the data guide and maybe adjust your you know suppositions about a race.
0: Democrats, in my experience, have a ambivalence about super PACs because, in general, we don't think that that's the right way to be running campaigns sure. in the long run. When I talked to JB, who who you know from yep. from uh, many things, yep. I, your pr- previous director of the DS, he was like a little sheepish, I would say, about like what he's doing. What's, what's your view about this as a type of actor in politics? Where's the money come from? Yeah, Why should this be
1: a way we're doing it? So first, I would be in favor of a much different campaign finance system. I think the campaign finance system we have is, you, you couldn't create a worse system if you intended it, for a whole host of reasons. And until Democrats take power, there's not going to be a change. Republicans have no incentive to change the current structure because it works for them. Two, I am not a believer in unilateral disarmament. I do not believe we should allow independent groups to spend three, four, five, six hundred million dollars beating up on progressives, beating up on Democrats, and hamstringing ourselves in in that regard. Um, I think we have to fight back. And this is one way that, that we can fight back and we should.
0: And and so is it mainly like a small number of very rich people basically that back you, or do you have any of the sort of grassroots money?
1: So we made an intentional decision actually at the beginning of this cycle, not to raise money online. Um, and by the way, we could have raised a lot online and we chose not to because, we saw what was happening in terms of a lot of new movements growing, a lot of new organizations developing. Don't want to fight them for the money. And frankly, why are we going to go and start another level of competition? Yeah. We would rather small donors. Frankly, we'd rather small donors give money directly to the candidates, where the money goes much farther. And so that was an intentional decision on our part not to do that. Um, but yes, it's a it's a smaller number of donors than certainly a campaign would have. There tend to be larger donors. And you know, unlike the Republicans, we have a lot of donors that give to us despite their economic interests. Right. And I think that's what people don't understand. People ask, why why aren't there more big Democratic donors that just write a hundred million dollar check? Well, the Kochs, It's an investment it is for it them. is an investment. <laughs> yeah, they get it back. They recouped more in the tax cuts that the Republicans passed than they have spent in politics in the last probably three or four election cycles. That is usually not the case with our donors. Our donors are usually giving to candidates that actually would pass economic policy that would would hurt them. I'm not a fundraiser by training. Uh, This is something that I've had to learn to to do on the job. Um, It's the least enjoyable part of the job. I would be number one on the pro-campaign fight. But I'm not not sheepish about it. I think we have to do it, and I think we have to fight back.
0: What would you say our main strategy is this midterm?
1: So— I think... Be- or maybe yours. Yeah. yeah. So let me. G- I'll give you three quick principles. One, just because the election is predominantly about Donald Trump doesn't mean that we have to run on Donald Trump. There is nothing more we're going to say about Russia or Stormy Daniels or Mueller, for example, that people don't already know. We're not adding anything to the conversation. Number two, that despite the fact that we're a super PAC, We spend a pretty significant portion of our money running positive advertising and believe that positive advertising is getting shortchanged in the political sphere in general. And and when you're doing that, are you talking about the seven, the 40, and the
0: three, the candidates that you're supporting? So
1: we either are talking about them. So in the Alabama case, 70% of our advertising was positive. Mm -hmm. Or we're talking about the power of voting. So we may not be talking about a candidate. We may be saying to a voter, look, you care about criminal justice. The way to impact criminal justice is to vote. So it's more about trying to do what we can to remove barriers, informing people through voter guides or through distributing news, you know, through Facebook feeds or doing original creative content. But we, we, we value positive advertising as much as we value traditional super PAC negative advertising. And number three, we believe that that candidates should be focused on healthcare, the economy, and the day-to-day things that people are worried about. Not because other things don't matter, but we've seen in almost every exit poll done, and in almost every poll that's been done, healthcare has continually been a top three issue. And don't take my word for it, Dana Rohrbacher one of the most unhinged conservative republicans currently has an ad up talking about how he's in favor of pre-existing because it's protect- hurting him that yes. means yes. Josh Hawley in Missouri who is one of the attorneys general prosecuting a case to get rid of protections is running an ad right now saying he's in favor of protecting pre-existing condition. So we're on to something and we just need to continue to execute through the end.
0: How do you think we're doing? Like what's your view right here we're about what are we about a month out? <laughs> yeah. What's what's your What's your mood?
1: Uh, my mood is I remember a lot of prognosticating uh, in 2016. Uh, so I always use the word cautiously in front of anything I say. But
0: but you've been through a lot of these cycles. like yeah. you, you, you know the rhythms.
1: I mean, midterms are, I've been through really awesome midterms. You know, in 2006, I worked at the DS. We picked up six uh, Senate seats. We picked up house seats. We could do no wrong. And 2010, it was a horrible election for Democrats. And I uh, worked for one of the few people that actually bucked the trend in Michael Bennett in Colorado, so that was a great experience. And then I was at the DS in 14 where you could just do nothing right. I mean, you might remember at the end of 14, like the Republicans were running ads talking about, you know, ISIS was bringing Ebola over the open Mexican border. I mean, it was just a really, these midterm cycles in particular have a mind of their own. Um, I think we're in a reasonably good position to take back the House, but I think it's going to be close. A lot of the the public prognosticators have talked about the fact that Democrats essentially need to win the national vote by six to eight points to have a chance of getting the majority. That's how gerrymandered the districts are. Yeah. We're doing really well in governor's races right now, especially in the Midwest. I think we're going to surprise a lot of people with our success in governor's races. And in the Senate, we are remarkably competitive given where the map is. I mean, you think about uh, we got like a red states everywhere, and yet, you know, we're in the margin of error in terms of plus minus two seats.
0: One of the things that seems really clear about this cycle in the Senate is that you do have all these Democrats running in red states and that a election that gets nationalized may be really bad for them Yes, and that the Kavanaugh fight may have done some of the work in doing that. How do you unnationalize something, or is that possible when you got— trump coming in yeah. he can come in and nationalize a race for a few days and that might move it a few points it's very it to difficult. Snap back. yeah
1: it's really difficult i will say this the, the one good thing is that a lot of these red state races are in smaller states where people get to know their senator in a way that's just fundamentally different than a state that's the size of florida mm-hmm. people in montana know john tester yeah they know he's a farmer. They know he gets back home and farms his own. Like, they know him in a way that big state senators are rarely known. And so that's, that's one way is you look at the advertising that somebody like Tester or Heitkamp or McCaskill run. A lot of it is about grounding them in their state. A lot of them have served for a long period of time. Um, they come into the race. You know, when politics is pretty divisive, most of them started this election with a net positive favorable rating. So that's some of it is doing everything you can to ground yourself in the state. I think a lot of times when people are getting ready to enter into a shit storm, they think one of their reactions is to turn away from it. And a lot of times you just have to turn into it. I think the stuff that Heidi is doing right now, you know, she's advertising right now on Kavanaugh yep. to camera, explaining her decision. Um, I think there's some power in that, um, high risk, high reward maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um and there's no other way to do it. Otherwise you're just ceding the territory to the other side, which I think is and right now they mistake. seem to
0: be kind of pursuing on totally. that. Right. Like they are oh, doubling down. Without on a doubt. It. Yeah.
1: But it's hard. It's yeah. I mean I I've been around red states I you mean, know, my first campaigns in politics were a Senate race and a governor's race in South Carolina. Hollings. In nineteen ninety eight, And I'm dating myself. He was um, a character. Yes. Whenever you refer to your opponent on stage as a as a GD skunk, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know my second race was uh, Missouri, where the governor oh. of Missouri passed away a, a week before the election. My third race was in Arkansas. Grant, the Democrats had a little more success in these states back then, but red states are they're they're hard.
0: I've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking to what I would call political entrepreneurs, a lot of whom started after 2016, built new groups, yep. built new technologies, are hard at work, sort of outside of the party in, in most cases, outside of the super PAC and other sure. PAC structure. What is your observation generally about what's going on there and to what
1: extent have you connected with that or not? I think it's um, a net positive and not by a close margin. Um, we've worked with a lot of the newer groups. I think one of the things people sort of miss when they hear the word super PAC is we are a living, breathing institution. Um, and you know, a lot of our staffed by human beings and operatives on your side, by the way, who are mostly under the age of 30, who are coming off of these campaigns, who have the same level of energy and enthusiasm as a lot of these new groups. And I think part of our challenge is investing into an established organization, that spirit. So we've worked with a lot of these new groups, and we've given money to a lot of these new groups. So you're actually helping fund them? Yes. 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 It's also like anything else, though. There are some that are great, and there are some that are not so great. There are some that will be successful. There are some that won't make it to the end of the cycle. I think the ones that are successful are the ones that understand that you have to combine – let's say for example data experience or tech experience or digital experience with political experience that they're not necessarily the same thing that just because you're successful at building a new tech startup doesn't mean you're necessarily good at politics and by the way vice versa and the ones that figure out how to marry the two are the ones that are generally more successful and not just startups i think there's also there are organizations like Run For Something, which we've invested in, or The Collective, where we invested in their first black campaign school to path. training yeah. you know, training uh, African-American potential candidates and staff. Color of Change, which has existed. Yeah, I think Color of Change does some of the most successful, effective work of any organization. And to the extent any donor listens to your podcast, they should give money to Color of Change. And we've done a couple of partnerships with them a research partnership on black millennials. We've invested a little bit of money there. But there's an organization that's been around a little while, has a lot of on-the-ground experience, and has moved intentionally into the electoral space, first with DA races and now with other races. Um, So there's a lot of really great work going
0: on. Who who else comes to mind as enterprises that you admire the work that they're doing and want to see them do more of it?
1: I think Voto Latino does some really good work. Again, they're an organization that's been around. Um, They do a lot of great work around voter registration and organizing in the Hispanic community. I think they're worthy of more attention and more investment um, on that front. Certainly Indivisible does great work. I don't know if... They don't feel new and small anymore. Uh, They're they're, new. They're not small. They're still new. They're definitely not small anymore. Um, And they've, they've done some really great work. There's a lot of groups that are doing... Really effective stuff.
0: Do you think we do a good job of coordinating as a ecosystem?
1: Better now. Yeah. Tell me a little about that. Well, desperation t- breeds, you know. <laughs> People are aligning because they have yeah, to. Yeah, you know. look, there are advantages and minuses to having a command and control structure. You know, when the Cokes give $400 million or whatever the hell they give now, they control that. The left, we we rely on partnerships and coordinating and tables. And a lot of times they can be really effective, but the process can be messy. What I have discovered in this election, as compared to many others, is there is more willingness to break down the barriers between organizations, establishment organizations, up and coming organizations. I'll just give you one example on our part. Part of what we've done is is put an emphasis on expanding the pool of people that understand digital so we started a training program Uh, we have uh three full-time staff we have trained over 600 people among progressive organizations and democratic organizations we've trained senate and house campaign managers state legislative caucus directors organization heads and we run two types of training one for non-digital people because part of this is about exposure So training campaign managers on what does a buy sheet look like? How do you know if it's working? How do you make a judgment about what you should be spending on digital versus television or field? The second type of training is where we hosted a three-day boot camp. We had 60 organizations, including some of the new, some of the old, some in the middle of digital directors. And we started a fellowship program. So we have 12 full-time paid fellows within priorities and the goal there is they are embedded in our operation for 6 months at the end of the 6 months we will help them find work outside of priorities in the digital space in the progressive infrastructure so there's always room for improvement i, I will say this i always hear from folks like why can't we just do x or y why don't we have just one message and why yeah. we are a diverse party and it's a big country it brings huge benefits but it also brings challenges and While you you want everything to be neater and cleaner and easier, I certainly would rather be us than them when it comes to those experiences. Well, I
0: mean, you talked about this training of digital people, and I didn't know about that at all. And I've been hearing for a long time, NOI went away. Right. That was where a lot of that kind of training took place in the past for a while, and that there was really a gap on our side. How did you decide to go after that? And what other gaps do you see?
1: Honestly you know, like a lot of things that we do, a staffer comes and says, I really think we need to do this. And we say, okay, let's see if we can find some money. Let's see if we can find a few donors that find this, you know, of importance. Let's make sure there's a need that organizations want to participate. It's an advantage that we have and that we get to go proactively seek things out. You know, we've talked a lot about the digital. The other thing that priorities does is we are very involved in uh, voting rights and voter suppression litigation. So, We are on our ninth lawsuit suing states for voter suppression. We've won eight of the nine cases, and we expect to hear the results of the ninth case this week. But let me give you one example of this. So I went to the University of Florida. Someone last year sent me an op-ed that a UF student had written in the, I believe, the Gainesville Sun, and it was about how unfair it was that the Secretary of State in Florida was unilaterally deciding not to let public colleges and universities be early vote locations. So I sent it to our lawyer, and I said, we have to be able to do something about this. He goes, sure. Fast forward, we are funding a lawsuit with League of Women Voters, the Andrew Goodman Foundation, and six plaintiffs. We win. And today, there are public colleges and universities in Florida that now have early vote locations representing about 850,000 students. When you have the luxury of just hearing new ideas and deciding to implement, it makes it it a little more fun.
0: When I'm talking to you, I feel like you're pretty engaged in this. Yeah. Yeah, But you've been doing this cycle after cycle. That tends to be a little (laughs) bit of a a burnout job. Yes. What do you see for yourself looking forward?
1: I mean, part. look, I'm—
0: And what motivates you to keep in this game?
1: I mean, I have a little burnt out. Uh, (laughs) That's okay. That's the nature of Um, working hard. I will say this the fact that we are doing new things makes it interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a competitive person, yeah. so A, I wanna win. Yeah, and um, there's a lot, a lot at stake. And, and I mean, everything I care about is on the line. So you suck it up and you do the things that you need to do. But having an organization where you have 40 creative people and you have most of our staff under the age of, of 30 and we are pushing the party to do something that is fundamentally different than it's done before, which occasionally causes a ruckus friction. Sometimes you need that in order to be successful. The fact that we're having success in the voting rights space, I mean, it's that that actually is, is motivating. The fact that we're pushing boundaries of what it means to be a quote unquote super PAC. I mean, the reality is Priorities has a nonprofit foundation. We have a C4 nonprofit. We have a super PAC. We are structured like a lot of organizations. Emily's List, Planned Parenthood. It's just people know us as the pack, and they. And by the way, we have values that are important to us as an organization. Um, for example, we were very public about our commitment not to support candidates that were in favor of the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh. So we do bring a perspective that's a values-based perspective, and not just spending some money and. I want to defeat Donald Trump. That is my that is my short term plan. Beyond so that,
0: you, so you you'll be in this game through twenty twenty. Yes. yes. And Beyond
1: that, we'll you know I'll worry about that then. <laughs>
0: how, how do you think we're doing on the data and tech front as a party? Better, as but a, not sufficient. Yeah. What what do you think needs to change?
1: I think we need to be thinking about data from a digital first perspective. And not just thinking about the existing voter file and how we use it to build off of, um, I think we need an infrastructure the one infrastructure that's missing that the right has is an infrastructure that is specifically data focused, but sits inside of the progressive infrastructure. We have catalyst. But it needs to be something that can actually move between organizations. We have organizations. something in the party. We have
0: something at Catalyst. We have something at Target Smart. And it's just everywhere. Yep.
1: Um, and so thinking about, Do you think you there's know, a
0: chance to, like I, I guess the right put 100 million plus into that. Do you think there's a chance for us to do I that? Mean, it, I mean,
1: it would be great to see it. I mean, I think a lot of these terms get used, loosely used, digital data, tech. Yep. I, I think we're making improvements. I think there's a lot of innovation happening. I, I think the concern is, how do we develop a more intense focus, and how do we build it so that when we get done with the the, the presidential primary, this will be the one time I talk about the primary because I've really been tried I've, not I've actually to actually steered away from asking but about. It. Once yeah. we have a primary candidate, yep. they need to inherit a better infrastructure than we have today.
0: Now of course they're all going to try to build infrastructures, yes. maybe thirty different ones, or and they'll
1: be and yes, and and some of that's good. I'm a capitalist. I don't believe we should have a monopoly. I think we will have better data products and we have better tech products when there is some competition in the market. God, I mean, I don't want God. That sounded terribly Republican, but yes, that is that is what I believe. Um,
0: well, I, I think we're for competition on on the Democratic side. Yeah, I, I do. We, I'm being a little yeah, facetious. Yeah.
1: The reality is, we're going to have a lot of people running for president they're going to be myopically focused on winning the primary. Even the most well-funded organizations are going to have cash crunches. They can't do it alone. But I bet you that same thought process
0: is going on at the DNC, right? And so yeah. how do you see the party and how it's doing right now? And to what extent can you have those conversations? You've been on the party side, right? I have and, and so, for most of my career. So, I mean, how I, is I don't, this all going to work out?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of conversations happening right now with People that I trust, um, like Jen O'Malley Dillon, for example, who's trying to solve some of these problems. So I'm I'm optimistic that there's enough momentum to create these structures, like we talked about, that it can be successful. You know, the party itself, I think the DNC inherited a organization, or the organization was worse than anybody imagined coming out of 16, and they've come part of the way to climbing themselves out, but they they still have a ways to go. What do you think?
0: reporters that write about elections, that write about the role of super PACs, what do you think they get wrong?
1: You know, that's a good question. I, I think reporters are getting a lot wrong about the election right now. Just like what? generally, if I hear one more time, but you know, Democrats can't win if they only focus on Donald Trump. Democrats can't win if they don't have a message. The way that you can evaluate what candidates are running on is how they're spending their money. Cause that's the thing that it, to them, right? They, they spend all of this time in an eight by eight room raising money. You look at the advertising that's happening right now in almost every single race, from the most progressive, liberal candidate to candidates that we consider moderate or conservative. They're almost all running on the same types of things, like, for example, health care. So I think what gets covered by cable news, stormy, Russia, Mueller, Kavanaugh, stupid things Trump said today, yep. the tweets is completely disconnected from how the candidates are actually running their campaigns on the ground. Is that
0: because there's now a conventional wisdom that that's the better way to campaign? No, or because, is because- is that because that is, I mean, why, why is that happening so much now? Because when I talk to people about- In terms of the about, disparity? Yeah. Because uh, talking
1: about preexisting conditions is not gonna get ratings.
0: So you think it's really more driven at the- I think it's at driven the, entirely at entirely by, by the obsession
1: with Trump yeah. and the proximity to Trump. And look, it is difficult to cover, 10 Senate races, 12 governor's races, 40 House races. Right. News organizations are smaller than they have been, except for the, you know, Times and the Post and some of the cables. But I think it's entirely driven by Trump does salacious, stupid things. And that gets a lot of the attention. And it's boring. People aren't going to be yelling at each other talking about opioids.
0: He had some discipline at the very end of 2016. Mm-hmm. And he may again at the end of 2018 would you rather him out there or not for the last two weeks
1: i don't think donald trump was ever going to let this election be about anything other than donald trump so you think he'll
0: be out there regardless totally yeah totally if you had to assess kind of the balance of power between the parties writ large um, right now at this point in history how does it stack up what do you uh, what do you mean like in terms of the institutions the money what we can put into campaigns on our side versus yep. what they
1: can. I mean, this
0: whole, ecosystem. I mean,
1: it's closer, you know, in terms of the independent side, you know, Democrats are raising more and I, I think we're doing better. I think we're, we're more coordinated than we've ever been. We're focusing on a, a, a more diverse set of things. We're investing more in things like digital. So there's a lot of room for encouragement and I'm optimistic about it actually. I think the challenge is, and this is where we drop the ball on the left, the money and the commitments for money come too late. And I'm not just talking about priorities and our 50 donors. I'm talking about Emily's List, Plan, P- all of these organizations, League of Conservation Voters, you pick. The right, you know, the, the Cokes, the Mercers, Adelson, they're not waiting until March, April, May, June, July, October. <laughs> To make money commitments and to say, we are willing to invest in, you pick it. I'm not even saying it's for priorities, for anything. They do it in January of the off year. And so when you do that, you can build structures. You can build organizations. You can build campaigns that are meant for the long haul. So should you be
0: holding money for... The long run, I mean, we a lot of our organizations spend it all right up into the end, and then they are left a little flat. I mean, we've seen the parties do that. We will
1: certainly have uh, money inside of our C four after this election. I mean, we're going to spend as much as we humanly can on this election, obviously. But our that's always going to be the attitude. But our goal is we are going to be prepared for the first quarter of next year, the first half of next year, whether it's money in the bank now or commitments that we already have for next year. Um, we 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 are thinking long term, um, while still playing a pretty significant role in this election. But that's hard for a lot of organizations to to do, and they don't have the luxury of doing that. And so, the number one thing I would say to you know to donors supporters is come in earlier, even if it's with the same amount of money. Come in earlier, make a commitment to your organization that you care about any any of the ones I mentioned or others. Um, it makes a big difference in helping us build and spend our money better in the long run. Let me try to
0: ask a question. I'm not sure if if I can ask it the right way, but I kind of want to know about your theory of politics. (laughs) So there are a lot of theories out there that are sort of being contested. Do you win by being an unapologetic progressive? Do you win by going to the middle in a general Election. You've been conducting big races for a long time. What do you think is sort of
1: the main rules of thumb about winning elections in America? I think first, the authenticity of the candidate matters a lot more than we want to give credit to. Candidate skills. Yeah, candidate skills and also being your authentic self, being a three-dimensional human being. I mean, there's been a lot written, for example, about women running this cycle and about them not running as a awkward, you know, version of what a man looks like running for office. And that they're talking about their personal experiences and they're making a connection. I mentioned I mentioned earlier this issue about how red state democrats can be more successful in small states. Why? Because people feel like they get to know them, to understand them. And I think we undervalue that. We want to think everybody has a 20-point policy checklist that they're referring to when they go into vote. If that were the case, we would have won in 2016. And we would have won a lot more elections because the country is with us on health care, on minimum, pick your issue. We, we are generally on the right side of most issues. Two, I, first of all, I hate the term identity politics. I think the only people playing identity politics in the way that it's described are Republicans. Democrats in North Carolina did not try to make bathrooms, to use their terminology, the number one issue in the North Carolina governor's race in the last election. Republicans brought their discriminatory behavior to us. Democrats did not choose to change the seating in the United States Senate so that two women would coincidentally be sitting behind Susan Collins so that the TVs would show three women while she gave her speech supporting a sexual assaulter. Republicans every time welfare is used or benefits are used or crime is discussed, happen to show people of color on their television ads, bringing a a divisive um, approach to politics. I'm going to just close with this. I think we bring our personal experiences to this as much as we bring data. My, um, my, my grandmother um, escaped a horribly abusive marriage, barely, with her life. Her husband, in her, the first incident, uh, stabbed her 12 times with a butcher knife, got three months in prison. In the second violent incident, a pistol whipped her after a gun locked. And in the third incident, after she went into hiding, he found her, and in front of my three-year-old mom and her five brothers and sisters, my grandfather shot my grandmother twice. My grandmother survived all of this and decided she was going to get the hell out of Columbus, Ohio. And she packed her kids in a station wagon and she drove to Miami and she waited tables for her whole life, uh, moving between duplexes and trailers, taking care of her kids, doing everything she could and was the most optimistic person I've ever met to this day. I didn't know any of these stories growing up until my senior year of high school. My parents did slightly better economically than my grandmother did. My dad was a mechanic and a carpenter. My mom was a stay at home mom. My youngest brother uh, was born and at three months old, was diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma, should have died by every measure, Um, ended up living, has two kids of his own now. But a week, a couple weeks after the diagnosis, my father lost his job because they didn't, they they knew my dad was going to miss work. Healthcare costs were going to be insane. There were no protections. So we were back into the spiral of poverty. I have done better than my parents economically, but my parents were never worried about holding the hand of someone they loved. They were never worried about being fired from their first job, which I would have been if I had come out. My husband and I have nine nieces and nephews, two of whom happen to be African American. Uh, We love them all, but we worry about Jalen and Travis in a way that is just different than we worry about our white nieces and nephews. My belief is the value of our party is when we can communicate to people that the white working class rages, the family struggling with healthcare costs, the, the gay kid who's just worried about being himself and the black child who has every hope and dream that a white child has or a Hispanic child or an Asian child has that all of those people, They, they just deserve a fair shot. They're not asking for a handout. They just want a shot. And for the last, you know, three decades, we have continually been building a system and a government and a society that puts every obstacle in their way. That is my approach to politics. Criminal justice issues are economic issues. Voting rights issues are economic issues. Likewise economic issues, you know, building an economy that works for everybody requires comprehensive immigration reform. It requires us not locking up people for ridiculous marijuana offenses. All of these things are interrelated. And at the the end of it, to me, being a Democrat means not deciding what we're going to be for based on who votes for us, but being clear about what what we're for and attracting people to us. And that's how my general worldview affects my politics and my job
0: seems like a fair uh ending to a <laughs> podcast thank you so much for your yeah. time yeah thank i you. really appreciate it <laughs> that was guy cecil with priorities usa guys at priorities.org i really hope that the work that priorities is doing will make a difference for democrats this cycle This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with The Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at resistancedashboard.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where
1: podcasts are found.